3: Welcome back to New Books in Latino Studies. I'm David James Gonzalez, the host of today's podcast, and I am pleased to be joined by Omar Valerio Jimenez, Santiago Vaquera Vasquez, and Claire Fox, editors of the Latino Midwest Reader, published by the University of Illinois Press in 2017. Dr. Omar Valerio Jimenez is an associate professor of history at the University of Texas at San Antonio and the author of River of Hope, Forging Identity and Nation in the Rio Grande Borderlands. Dr. Santiago Vaquera-Vasquez is an associate professor of Hispanic Southwest Studies at the University of New Mexico and the author of One Day, I'll Tell You the Things I've Seen, Stories. And Dr. Claire F. Fox is professor in the departments of English and Spanish and Portuguese at the University of Iowa and the author of Making Art Pan-American, Cultural Policy and the Cold War. Hello, Omar, Santiago, and Claire, and welcome to New Books in Latino Studies. Thank you. Hi. Great. So I'd like to start uh, today just by giving each of you a couple minutes to introduce yourselves and tell our audience a little bit about your personal and professional backgrounds. Uh, Omar, how about you lead us off and then we'll continue with Santiago and Claire.
0: Okay, uh, thank you. Well, I'm originally from Texas. I was born in Mexico, but came over when I was um, quite young. Uh, raised here, and so I'm I'm glad to be back in Texas after being in a, a few other places. I taught at Cal State Long Beach and at the University of Iowa, and now I'm at the University of Texas at San Antonio. Um, I teach history cl- courses mainly in Latino uh, history, uh, Mexican American uh, history, borderlands, the American West, and immigration. And also, I started teaching classes on race in the United States. I'm really excited about our book, our anthology. Uh, it started many years ago uh, when I was at the University of Iowa and when Santiago was there as well. And um, we um, you know, basically got together to try to promote um, the study of Latinos in the Midwest. And, and we thought we, we started with a symposium and then eventually uh, it turned into a, a summer seminar. Maybe we can discuss this later. But anyway, um, but it was basically our, our attempt to try to get scholars together and to promote Latino studies, uh, in the Midwest, because, uh, being in a, at a university like the university of Iowa, where there weren't that many um, Latino studies scholars, uh, at least at the time, um, you know, sometimes you feel a little bit isolated and it was good. It was a good sort of way of promoting Latino studies. We didn't have a Latino studies program there. it was a way of promoting it and eventually building sort of momentum to eventually uh, create a Latino studies, um, minor. Um, anyway, um, And uh, it was also part of my effort uh, to sort of be involved in research on on Latinos in the the Midwest, Um, and I started doing a little bit of that. Um, I published an article about that, and I did a little bit of research and also got students interested in doing research on um, uh, the topic. And I'll turn it over to Santiago now.
1: Hi. Thanks for the invitation. I'm really happy to, to be able to talk about the book. I'm also not from the Midwest. I'm originally from California. From Northern California, but I've uh, I've taught at a number of universities in, across the United States and in uh, and in Europe. Um, I uh, was at the University of Iowa when this when this project was born. I'm currently at the University of New Mexico, but I just came back from a Fulbright year uh, teaching Latino studies in um, in Turkey in uh, in Ankara. Wow. And so uh, for me, this project was was really fascinating because uh, before moving to Iowa, I was living in in Pennsylvania teaching at, at Penn State. And I remember that uh, when I first moved to Iowa to, uh, to to join the Department of Spanish and Portuguese, um, before I moved, my people I I I meet in in on the streets in uh, in at Penn, uh, Penn State would tell me, "Hey, well, you know, Iowa, it's uh, it's ninety five percent ninety five percent white," and I I thought, "Wow, okay, I don't understand what that means, guys." <laughs> Because Pennsylvania seemed pretty not um, pretty monodiverse at the time, um, but uh, after a week of living in uh, Iowa City, people would come up to me and would say, "Well, you know, you know, Iowa is now 97 percent. Um, it's actually 93 percent white." And I thought, "Wow, well, you know, my base count." <laughs> so uh, it was one of those one of those things that I found fascinating living in uh, living in Iowa and living in the Midwest. And so when um, when Omar and I were teaching one semester a uh, um, a course on borderlands, he came to me with this project, this idea of of, of putting together a symposium on on uh, Latinos in the Midwest. I thought this, this was absolutely great because in the years that I had in the years that I've been living there, I, I started looking at these different communities, uh, and my my focus is creative writing um, and and cultural production. So I was I was really interested in the way that. A, these look these, these local communities were a, sort of creating their own sense of sense of home. and so looking at, at small communities like West Liberty, Iowa, um, that a, I used to say that that if it were close to the Iowa City, I probably would live there aside from the fact that you know that the commute was 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 awful and the winters are, are terrible in the Midwest. <laughs> but, um, but I, it was one of these things that that I, that I found really 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 great and, and a really fascinating project to work on. Um, for many reasons, right? For the, 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 the way that I look at, say, the um, evolution of, a, a, of Chicano literature or Chicano cultural production. I teach a course currently at, um, here at the University of New Mexico called, that I call Movements in Chicano Literature. And where I look at, at the way that um, uh, Chicano literature first starts off as a, as a sort of a regional literature and then it moves to a national literature. And, and my focus, uh, what I was doing in Turkey, is looking at it as a transnational. Literature and so by looking at 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 um, at these different aspects of of Chicano uh, Latino cultural production, I'm 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 interested in seeing how um, it has it has evolved and changed. And the Midwest, I thought, was a was a great site for looking at rethinking what does it mean to be
2: Latino in the United
3: States. Gotcha, great, Claire.
2: I came to the University of Iowa in 2001. And uh, like my co-editors, I'm not from the Midwest. I grew up in Southern California, although my parents are Midwesterners. And I think that in some ways uh, helped me to understand some of the local dynamics here in Iowa. I teach uh, literature and cultures of the Americas, and my research has tended to focus on visual art and visual culture. Um, My doctoral research was on uh, the U.S.-Mexico border representations of the border in the era of NAFTA, Mm -hmm. which dates me, I think, in a lot of ways. (laughs) Um, And when I came to Iowa, you know, the kind of border studies as a regional area studies really wasn't um, as meaningful or impactful for the Midwestern students as it had been for the Californian students I had taught previously. And I felt I needed to adapt uh, my teaching to reach my students here in Iowa. And that kind of led me to explored the Latino Midwest as a, a phenomenon. And hmm. in fact, the Midwest and agricultural industries in the Midwest have been profoundly affected by NAFTA. So it wasn't a stretch
3: right.
2: to start thinking along those lines. And um, I connected with Omar and Santiago after they had already developed this proposal to run a symposium or some series of events on the Latino Midwest and was completely interested in it. And uh, I miss both of them very much. Uh, But since they left the University of Iowa, they have uh, created something that is continuing to develop. I think the kind of studies of the Latino Midwest are gaining momentum and now I'm part of a interinstitutional research collaborative that is also um, investigating the Latino Midwest
3: right thank you for that and that's uh, we started to get into how this project came together and you know from the three of you uh, you know being colleagues and and then the symposium so um why don't you fill in a bit more details for us about where did it go from the symposium? After the symposium was put together, how did we then get the book that we have now in in our hands?
0: Okay, <laughs> uh, I'll just say I'll say a few things. Um, so uh, the symposium was held in um, in was it October? Uh, yes, two thousand twelve. Uh, okay. Uh, I was looking at my CV because I can't, I I don't remember anymore. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so it was, it was held in 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 October 2012 and um, we had a, it was a three-day symposium. It was great. You know, we had lots of scholars, artists, writers, um, singers uh, come and give presentations. And we were, it was like a high for me because, you know, one of the things that Santiago mentioned also is, um, you know, when I moved to, to the Midwest, um, from uh, Long Beach, California, one of my friends, who's a, a Chicano scholar, also made, made this little quip about, you know, oh, there's Chicanos in the Midwest, and I said, of course <laughs> there are, you know, and, you know, it's one of those kind of things where people think that that there is no sort of history. And one of the big things that we wanted to say to to make a, you know, one of the our our sort of main arguments is that uh, Latinos are not new to the Midwest. Right. And so right. when I was there, one of the actually one of the First sort of experiences that I remember, I taught a Mexican American history class, and at the time, since I was coming from Long Beach, I called it Chicano history class. <laughs> and I realized soon after that, as soon as I got there, that that some people, many people, students and staff, didn't know what a Chicano was right. um, exactly, and so I had to change it. But anyway, but I remember sort of the excitement of some of the Latino students in my in that first class uh, just. Uh, listening and, and hearing about you know uh, Mexican American history, but particularly when I included material about Iowa or the Midwest. And when I when I got when I got to the University of Iowa, it was two thousand six. Um, there was a project there that is still going on, but they had they they were giving pre- the librarians were giving presentations. It was um, the Iowa Women's Archive um, began this project to collect um, material uh, about Latinas in the Midwest, and that's it's the Mujeres Latinas project. And I heard a presentation presentation um, by, by some of the um, you know, archivists and librarians involved in this project. And I quickly contacted them. I was still teaching I was, you know I was in the midst of the semester, and so I incorporated some of the, some of the material they gave me. And I remember distinctly that one student uh, asking me, um, I, w- I was showing some photos of, of some of the communities um, uh, in Iowa in eastern uh, Eastern Iowa along the Iowa um, Illinois uh, border. And this one student who had never spoken in class, Raise her hand and she said, can you back up to a few photos behind, you know, before where, you know, where, where it is right now, the PowerPoint. And I said, sure. And I backed it up and she said, that woman right there, that's my grandmother. And this woman, the student had never spoken in class. And after that, she started speaking. And I just, that, that, that experience right there cemented to, you know, in, in me and my understanding that I had to include more material from the Midwest in my, in my classes. um, Because you know, students were going to get more, you know, basically invested, uh, in the material. If they knew about what was going on, you know, about the history of Mexican Americans or Latinos in general in the Midwest. So anyway, uh, Back to your original question. I sorry I got diverted, but but after the symposium, we basically the Oberman Center, and we should mention the Oberman Center and give them props because they they provided a lot of the funding for the symposium and for the seminars, the um, summer seminar. We decided we wanted to put together um, sort of an anthology, a, teach, a teachable anthology, something that we could be used in the classroom. Um, because one of the things, as instructors, all three of us um, sort of uh, struggled with, is finding material on. Latinos in the Midwest, uh, mm-hmm. to use in our course. And so, um, we put together, uh, another Brazil proposal to, um, to host a summer seminar where we would invite scholars, different scholars, some of the ones who had been in the symposium, but others that perhaps couldn't come to the symposium, but we wanted to include anyway. uh host them for a one week seminar where they would come and basically bring essays that they thought would might be um, um, suitable for this anthology. And then we would workshop them and then sort of uh, exchange ideas on how to improve and what to do uh, to make them sort of more readable, more, um, more easily accessible for students. And that's what, and that's, And and it was it was a wonderful seminar. I mean, both the symposium and the the summer seminar were just wonderful experiences for me.
1: Yeah, I totally. I wanted to uh, work off of what uh, what what Armand had said. We we (laughs) actually worked on this project for I don't know about a year before the uh, the symposium. We sat down and we decided to go as big as possible. So we uh, we spent I don't I can't remember maybe about a year uh, writing grant proposals wow. to uh, to everything we could think of. We, we, we got as many of the, um, uh, different groups on campus involved. We were, we were able to, um, get the, um, the, 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 uh, auditorium, um, organizers who organized organize like a series of plays and concerts to bring Lila Downs. Um, then, so she closed our, 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 our symposium. We, um, uh, got the, um, the 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 students who organized a speaking a speaker series to uh, to bring uh, Juno Diaz to um to to be a part of one of our of, of our um, of our series. Uh, we had um, we had Luis Alberto Urrea, who is a, a Chicano writer who lives in the Midwest. He lives in Chicago to um, to give one of the final events, um, and it was it was really truly an amazing uh, amazing semester because it, it did. It, it, we, their symposium was in August over over four days, but uh, it really was an event that uh, a series of events that, that took place throughout the semester. It was my final semester at the University of Iowa and I just thought it was like a, a great way to a great way to go. And as, uh, as, as Omar said right I mean I think that it, the, the most, for me the most important thing about about looking at this project is my, my work in general looks at this notion of, of shared spaces, right mm-hmm. communities and context. And and the idea of looking at the at the Midwest as a shared space where we have both a, a community that it, it has been there, right? Latinos have been there since the um, since the 19th century, uh, uh, but is also new because we see the um, demographic growth in the um, uh, since since 2000. So there is this it's it's both a community that's old and new at the same time, and and that notion of how these communities come together and, and build uh, build their their connections to place, I thought was for me was, was, was key for looking at these, um, at this, at this, at this project and the book itself, I think is, is, is really just great because we have uh, scholars who are working in very different areas, right. From uh, ethnic studies to labor history, to linguistics. Uh, and I, I think that, I think that it's, uh, it, it came out uh, to be a, a pretty, it's a, it's a beautiful book and it's, and, and, uh, and I hope it's inviting for,
3: for more projects. Mm -hmm. Oh, certainly. I think that's a great point. Go ahead, Claire.
2: Mm -hmm. I was going to say, you know, we we were extremely ambitious. (laughs) (laughs) I think if we maybe had known what we were getting ourselves into, we would have checked ourselves a bit. But (laughs) we did it big. And um, the irony was that Iowa at the time was the only Big Ten institution that did not have an academic Latino studies program.
1: Right. Right.
2: So um, there were some really wonderful um, outcomes of our initiative. Uh, first of all, the the workshop that Omar referenced where we brought authors together for a week of peer review of one another's book chapters leading to the publication mm-hmm. was really a great experience. And it was a lot of fun and fun. Um, a collaborative venture where it it really dissolved the boundaries between the contributors and the editors. We were all kind of mutually invested in making one another's work excellent and making the volume kind of coherent. Mm
3: -hmm. Um,
2: And then after that was over and the publication was entering production, uh, Latino studies at UI was born. So, We're now um, a program in its third year of existence, and it's thriving, which is wonderful. And there are a number of professors who are contributing to it. And meanwhile, we're working on a website, a companion website for the Latino Midwest Reader. Great. So hopefully that will launch within this year. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of new academic um, research projects underway in the field, so I think this is just kind of a signpost in a, a research area that's starting to coalesce.
3: Thank you for that. Now, that's that is, um, I mean, all that context is so helpful, particularly for those I think that are that are listening uh, within academia that are that have probably similar, you know, thoughts on how to create. Um, you no know, mm-hmm. projects like this, collaborative projects, and and as you mentioned, it is big, uh, as in uh, I'm amazed. I think there's, according to my count, seventeen chapters plus uh, the intro and the foreword. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it <laughs> to say ambitious uh, is the least I, I think in this, and the collection of scholars is just. Uh, uh, really, you know, it's it's staggering. So it is it is a great piece, and it looks great. It's got a great cover. It just, uh, you know, it feels the right size. Uh, so so just kudos to all of you. Um, I Santiago
2: wonder... designed the cover, by the way. Oh, is that right? No, well, no, well, there's there's a story yes,
3: he did. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Did you were you were you going to add something on that, Santiago?
1: <laughs> uh, no, on the uh, on the on the cover and on the book. No, I I agree with you. I
3: think okay. that's the... Uh,
1: book <laughs> came out to be a really just amazing. And I'm so happy to have been able to work with, with Claire and Omar. Uh, in fact, um, this is probably going to date me. I've told this to Claire before, but um, her book, the book on, on, on the border, the U.S.-Mexico border, really changed my life. I was finishing grad school at the time. I was writing my dissertation when it came out, and I just thought, this is uh, amazing. So for uh, the opportunity to go teach at Iowa uh, and to be one of uh, uh, Claire's colleagues, was to me was was great, and then meeting Omar in my first year, I just thought, "Wow, this is a really great group." And for a while, I thought Iowa City was just the most amazing collection <laughs> of of colleagues ever.
3: Right.
2: You and Omar are still honorary Iowa Cityans. <laughs> we miss you a lot here.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, Thank Jasper, Jasper misses it a lot.
2: Jasper still talks
1: about wanting to go back as much as he can, and. I keep telling you, hopefully someday we can make we'll go back for a visit.
2: Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, we want to organize something around the release of the book. I think locally, if anecdotes um, are evidence, I think it's making a, a splash here. Right.
3: That's great. Let's so talk happening. a bit about the uh, the organization of the book. Uh, and in particular the uh, and sorry in particular there's these two phrases that I believe you, you bring up in the in the introduction. Uh, the first is aquí estamos that is uh here we are, right? And <laughs> cuando llegamos, when we arrive. That these two phrases mm-hmm. capture the dual emphases uh, of the collection. Um, can you uh, expound on that how the organization uh, of the book kind of follows uh, those two phrases? And who you know, I don't know if we want to begin with Omar or Santiago. Just uh, we can we can go.
0: I would say either Santiago or Claire, but I I I, okay. I think Claire will probably speak to this. Yeah. <laughs> well, right, the
2: IKEAS um, you know, that comes from more specifically from one of the last essays in the volume by Rebecca Schreiber, who worked on Chicago's Immigrant Youth Justice League, and the, the ways in which the immigrant rights movement. um in the Midwest and throughout the United States is using social media and video. And um, she comments on one video in which an activist um, who is undocumented asserts her presence by saying, estoy," here I am, hmm. you know, so here we are is a sort of uh, way of thinking about the Latino Midwest and it's, uh, lack of visibility or visibility within the field, a kind c- of claiming presence. And then, cuando lleguemos, is a line from, sh- um, from Tomas Rivera's, y no se lo trago la tierra. It's um, a sort of refrain in one of the vignettes there that is uttered by a number of um, trans regional migrants who are traveling from. South Texas to the Midwest in a truck, and they're standing through the whole journey, and they're all collectively thinking in their stream of consciousness about their aspir upon arrival. Mm-hmm. Yes. So both of those phrases, I think, capture some of the tension around um, wanting to assert the Latino Midwest as an important region. Uh, for the broader field imaginary within Latino studies,
3: Gotcha. and the, the sections seem to follow that in a way. As in the first section, um, the Browning of the Midwest seems to you know focus um, a bit. I mean, of course, migration and demographic change are, are themes throughout the whole book, but it seems to signal that that type of um, you know arrival you know within the. the like- Aquí estamos. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. phrase and and then you know the the second section that comes up with the the emphasis on the long history of contributions to industry through Latino mm-hmm. labor and community building, right? Anything that uh, uh, Omar or Santiago, you want to add to that in regards to the organization of the book?
1: No, I I think uh, I think I think Clara covered it covered it, covered it very well, right? And I and I and I think you 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 hit the the key point, right? The way that it's the way that we set it up as. To look at this at this community that is both um, old and new, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's also the, that 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 is also encapsulated in, the, in these two those two um, um phrases.
3: Yeah, and as you you mentioned, it, it sort of pushes back both you know against scholarship as well as uh, you know I think just a, a collective more popular consciousness and you know the general you know American public um, hearing of Latinos in the in, in the U.S. of course even. You know, amongst Latinos, you know, in the Southwest, you, you get the, the Mm -hmm. refrains that some of you have mentioned, right? There are, there are Mexicanos or the Latinos in the Midwest, what? Or in that town or this town. And there is both at the same time, right? That long history stretching back, you know, over a century, uh, right of migration Mm -hmm. pathways and networks into the Midwest. But, you know, continually due to changes as, you know, uh, Claire, you mentioned, as was mentioned about your work, you know, through NAFTA, particularly more recently, these, Right. These trends and networks have expanded, you know, so there is both that sense of old and new going on amongst the Latino community. Uh, and, uh, you know, to use again for, for, we can get into the, the use of that, that phrase later, Latino and Latinidad, uh, itself. Um, so also mm-hmm. just mentioned there, there are the few other sections. I mentioned the first two sections. There's also a section on, you know, education, experiences, and struggles on, uh, you know, uh, section four is on, um, you know, culture, uh, right, within Latino culture within the Midwest. And then there's a another section, the last one, the fifth one, movimientos on uh, social political activism. So it seemed to hit kind of all the big narrative threads that uh, at least I was mm-hmm. looking for, and I think a number of people are looking for in such a collection. Um, if we could, uh, I would like to switch to also talk about what I believe is one of the central arguments if if we're looking at this work collectively, you mentioned the first was the goal to challenge the notion that uh Latinos are, are not newcomers, right, to the new uh, the Midwest, have been here for quite a while. Um but also uh that these essays collectively collectively emphasize and make a point towards the distinctiveness of the Midwest as uh you know a, a site and space for you know the Latino community. Right. Uh, and that experience within the United States. So, uh, my question is, can we talk about this? What is it that makes the Midwest unique among other regions? You know, particularly, you know, where so much of the scholarship emerges about the, the Southwest and, and now even a lot in, in the last, you know, couple of decades has been from the Northeast. And of course, we even have now, right, the scholarship on La Nueva South, right? So, uh, we have all these different regions. So what is it that makes the, the Midwest unique within the Latino experience?
0: Uh, let, me, let me say a few things about that. Um, one of the things that um, that I was, was very pleasantly surprised to learn is just how long Latinos have been in the Midwest, but also just the different um, sort of uh, historical moments that have taken place in the Midwest related to Latinos that I was unaware of. So, uh, I mean, from something tragic like, you know, Richie Valens' death in Iowa mm-hmm. to things like to Rivera, you know, uh writing setting some of his stories um in in the Midwest to um the you know the 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 uh, origins of of the um of some of the Puerto Rican activist um in Chicago the young lords that um uh Wentz or Serrano talks about in, in our book uh describes and and also uh, I think I think Claire can correct me if I'm wrong about this but um the 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 journal chicano queerena began mm-hmm. in the Midwest and I think yeah. part of uh, was that right Claire Yeah okay. yeah in the and- Right. and and i think part of what this what what it showed me and i think in our discussions with with claire with my discussions with claire and santiago and with the other scholars is that you know the midwest is is a region that not only have latinos been there for a long time and you know mexicanos were were the, probably the first to arrive in the, in, the, in the region but but eventually puerto ricans and and other other latino groups but but more importantly it's a, it's a site where no mate. no one Latino population like mexicanos or Puerto Ricans has dominated to the extent it has in the Southwest or uh, for example, uh, Puerto Ricans in New York City or Cuban Americans in Miami and Florida and so there's been this mixing, and I think mm-hmm. this is what partly what Frances aparicio um, sort of discusses in in her afterward but there's been this mixing from from very long t- for a very long time and L- Lilia Fernandez also discusses it in in her chapter um and in her book. Uh, and, and I think that mixing has been very productive and has been, has led to sort of a distinct experience because, um, let, you know, Mexicanos or Puerto Ricans haven't felt like, oh, we're, we're the main, you know, group here of Latinos. And so they've interacted with one another, I think, in, in unique ways that perhaps, um, it it does occur in other, in other, in other parts of the U.S. Southwest, but I think it occurs to a more profound, uh, and more deep degree in, in the Midwest.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that another angle, another aspect of, of this notion of, of the Midwest is sort of being unique. I'm not so sure that it's, uh, I, I would tend to shy away from the use of the word unique, but it is, it is, it is one of these overlooked spaces in, uh, in, mm-hmm. in America, right? Because we somehow sort of, well, even when we talk about the Midwest, we consider it the sort of flyover, the flyover states, the square states. It's all like this big, vast nothing uh, uh, that, um, you know, in the last election, of course, has now become a topic. But when I first moved there, right, it just it was just sort of the sense of that there was it was sort of an unknown, right? And mm-hmm. and and I think this is that's that's one of the things that I I, I always liked about living in Iowa is, is discovering right the history of of, of our community. Now, uh, my first my first contact actually with Latinos in the Midwest was a lot uh, uh, earlier than 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 two thousand seven. In nineteen ninety four, I was invited to a conference in at, at the University of Kansas, and so I was in uh, I was in Kansas City for a day, just walking around, and I ended up in this neighborhood where I kept seeing um taquerias and mm-hmm. um and there was history of, of mexicanos in the city, and I thought, wow, how did we end up here? And that's <laughs> when I started thinking at, at, at that, moment. <laughs> and then and then I and then I realized right it was because of the railroads and the cattle yeah. drives, and and, and that <laughs> always stuck with me. And so moving back to Iowa in 2007, I mean, I had that sort of in the in sort of my in my memory bank.
2: I think we're walking a tightrope in our anthology between kind of claiming distinctiveness and uniqueness for the Midwest, but also mm-hmm. wanting um, scholars from the coast to integrate Midwestern stories into coverage of the field or representations of the field. So, mm-hmm. you know, what Omar was saying, I think, um, about the Midwest that, uh the Mexican and Mexican-American population are the majority Latino demographic. However, um, in our anthology, one of the things that comes out is that it, that demographic tends to kind of organize around a diasporic imaginary rather than um, mm. a kind of occupied territory imaginary. Mm. Right. right, so, right. Um, and that alone, I think is conducive to inter Latino interactions on a different plane. For example, if you go to a lot of regional ethnic festivals, uh, Latino festivals in the Midwest, you see the flags of all of the Latin American nations flying there. Mm -hmm. And there are these sort of pan Latino musical acts that perform stuff like that. And I think another distinctive feature of the Midwest is the um, rural and small town Latino communities mm-hmm. um, and ways in which I think Latinos are kind of reviving dying agricultural communities in a lot of parts of the Midwest. Yeah, no, I I
3: find that interesting. That I mean, that particularly that the the urban you know rural experience because you this is one of those things where there there are right commonalities and then distinctives or distinctions right between these different regions that we're talking about, mm-hmm. Um and so we know that of course you know the history of of Latinos and uh has this you know kind of that dual emphasis of you know experiences in both of those places whether it be urban or rural but uh, as you mentioned in a, a number of a bit of scholarship coming out now is about how latinos particularly on the coasts are reviving urban areas or uh areas that have urbanized you know in the post war area era um you mentioned this this uh, revitalization of rural space and i think that maybe perhaps that points to one of those unique and distinctions, yeah. you know, that that has a commonality as mm-hmm. we we talk about again railroads and agricultural labor and things of that sort, where that kind of establish these early networks. But then, you know, well, we see a little bit of departures in these narratives. Perhaps how uh, you know that transition and or that that experience in space, as well as the trajectory over time, how that differs. Maybe that's where we find some of that uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Does that sound mm-hmm. about right? The other interesting yes. thing that, that you pointed out is, um, and that I think is pointed out in the introduction also is, and I think this points to, you know, what, what does this collection of, of essays do towards, you know, scholars theorizing, right? Um, about the Latino experience. Uh, we, we all know that the border, of course, is, is an important concept. Uh, you know, the border, borderlands, that's both as a, a metaphor and, um, that is used often in scholarship, but then also as, as a concept that's used to, um, really work through our, our, uh, you know our, our scholarship. Um, there was mentioned here that the Midwest is a type of you know border space between again this the, the coasts and the coastal experiences mm-hmm. of of Caribbean primarily again Caribbean and Mexican origin groups. Uh, would you care to comment on that a bit more? Maybe just to explain that, work that through a little bit more for us.
1: No, I I, I think you're right. Right. I mean this is the the um, the Midwest is kind of a a type of. Another way of borderlands, which is it's a contact zone, right? yeah, and right. I think this is what uh, many, of me, our, right. um, many of our many of our many many of many of our um, eh, writers eh, eh, pointed out, right? The um, and and I, I like what, what Omar and Claire said about the fact that that what what makes the one aspect that makes the the, the Midwest uh, sort of distinct is this is this notion that there's no one group that is that is um, a, a, over others, right? So that you have sort of like this latinidad, um th- Um. Uh, uh, thing going on so um yeah no i think that when we look at, at when we look at the, at the 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 small towns where the small farming communities or the the meatpacking towns where we have uh, large latino populations or even look at a city like like, uh, like chicago um you start to see this this um really interesting a uh, uh, mixing that um it's not problematic free, right. Cause I mean, I have stories, but, um, but I think that, um, that, that, that I think is is a really fascinating way that we see how communities start to um to mesh together. How do they mm-hmm. share the space?
0: Yeah. I mean, one thing I wanted to add is, um, you know, I think in terms of similarities, obviously, um, uh, between Latinos in the Midwest and elsewhere, you know, they the Latino communities are facing some of the same challenges, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, poverty, you know, political exclusion, anti-immigrant policies and so forth um, and a desire to, to obtain an education and, and, and such. Um, but I think, and, and they're also, they're also, I think, I, and I should emphasize this, there that I think Latino communities in the Midwest, like in other areas, are really committed to cultural adaptation to the region that they're, they're, they're you know, where they're living. Mm-hmm. And, you know, It surprised me in many ways, you know, um, learning about certain communities in Iowa, for example, or, or um, Illinois, uh, just how much investment Latinos have in their communities. Um, And some of them, obviously, because they've been there several generations, like some of the, some of the, um, the people that I met in West Liberty have been there several generations, but, you know, their ancestors hail from Mexico or from South Texas, you know, and they, they, uh, ended up there because they were following the, the crops, right, or or railroads in in some cases. Um, but I think in terms of differences, I think I think Claire said it really well, and that's that this this idea of a of a diasporic community uh, of the diaspora and that how Latinos can can relate to one another. And one of the things I think uh, happens elsewhere, right, is there are these mixing of, of uh, Latino Latino populations, like Mexicans marrying Puerto Ricans, and mm-hmm. um, you know Puerto Ricans marrying Cubans and so forth, right. But I think in the Midwest, West you have a large uh, that happens often enough that you have you know as, as Francis Aparicio mentions you have these new identities being created of Mexicans or Bolivian Cubans or Mexican Colombians and mm-hmm. and because there's enough of them you know that, that right. gets created um, and I think it also I think that they you know because uh, you know once again no no one group no one national origin group uh, predominates you know to a large degree that you have um, these communities um, inter- interacting with one another cooperating building alliances with another more, uh, but also obviously there's tensions as well. Right. But, but I think they're able to, you know, certain groups are able to see the commonalities in their struggles and their, in their struggle to adapt and their struggle to, to uh, overcome, you know, local discrimination or local, local, local uh, problems. One of the things that I felt very, very good about is that I think our, our, our volume does speak to some of these issues. Um, you know, couldn't you know? Like you, you mentioned there was there's many many essays. You know, seventeen essays. I, I didn't. I hadn't counted that. But um, <laughs> but 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 one of the things that you know, I, I was contacted after the the book came out, and and they asked someone asked me a scholar asked me. So why isn't there any article on Missouri? And I said, well, <laughs> I you know I, I had to. You know, we couldn't include anything, right? Mm-hmm. But like Santiago mentioned a little bit earlier, I hope that this leads to perhaps other projects and maybe another project is another anthology later on down that Later are on down the line that someone else can take up or or maybe us or whatever but but in terms of there's a lot of research that can get published and a lot of new new um uh you know recent scholars you know recent PhDs that are working on some fascinating topics that we couldn't really include because you know they were working on their dissertations or their first books and and most of the scholars who published here are you know already have books out and you know had had secure tenure, and so they could contribute to something like this. Right. Um, but I'm sure that there's just there's just a lot more scholarship that can be done and that can be published on uh, Latinos in the Midwest.
3: Certainly, and and you know, your comments got me thinking. You know, uh, you know about that that shared experience in space. But another point that's made, you know, again throughout the book, but really emphasized in the introduction, and as well as um, Frances Aparicio's, uh afterward. Um, right, is the, the notion of, of, uh, the, how this affects the theory of identity formation among Latinos and that it's, it's presumed, right, that, that Latino as an identity or Latinidad, right, um, as it's generally discussed speaks to a, a sense of shared or common cultural values and heritage right that that's what unites the latinos it's it's the spanish language or it's certain cultural mm-hmm. experiences and traits commonalities and celebrations or food what, whatever that may be uh, but this um you know collection speaks more to the emphasis on a shared lived lived experience as a racialized and mm-hmm. politicized group right that that is um, the basis of, of latino identity in the midwest mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you any of you care to comment a, a bit on that and, um, you know, for, just for our audience, explain it a bit further?
2: I think we definitely support um, what you just said, uh, that Latinidad is more a product of contingencies than some pre-given essence, a cultural essence that expresses itself. Um, and that, you know, Santiago's creative work kind of explores this, I think, but I also wanted to say that it doesn't just stop with interactions among Latinos or between Latinos and Anglos. One of the things that we were very aware of when we were working on this was that there are longstanding histories of Latino uh, Latinos interacting with African-Americans in Chicago mm-hmm. and Detroit and other major Midwestern cities and being really important to the industrialization of these And also in rural and small town areas, Latinos are working alongside Eastern European uh, immigrants, uh, South Asian immigrants, um, Africans. So there's a lot of, um, you know, what Santiago called newness, (laughs) there's a lot of kind of new contact zones that are um, coalescing or, you know, being created in out-of-the-way places
3: well, thank you for that. Thank you for those, the, the comments, you know, I, I appreciate the time you've, you've provided us and particularly our audience. I wanted to give a moment as we wrap things up uh, for each of you to share uh, a bit of what it is here you're, you're currently working on um, aside from perhaps promoting this or planning reunions uh, in regards to the, the, the collection of essays that we have in front of us. Um, but uh, if you wouldn't mind, um, I don't know, Claire, if you want to kick us off, what is it? Something that what's something you're working on now?
2: Um, Well, actually, a few of the alums of the Latino Midwest Reader are now active in a new collaborative research initiative. For a while, they were calling it Latino Midwest (laughs) 2.0. But the official name is um, Latinx Placemaking in the Midwest, Creating Sustainable Worlds. Hmm. And the director of that project is Teresa Del Gavillo at um, Ohio State University and also Jerry Cadava and Ramon rivera Cervera at Northwestern University are co-PIs on the project. And with a group of about 15 Latino Midwest scholars of all ranks, they're looking at um, forms of cultural expression and placemaking, so looking at festivals, festivals. Um, Latino cultural centers and community organizations, the arts, literature, film, and performance. And I expect that that will produce a wave of new research projects that builds productively on the reader.
3: Great. Thank you. Omar? Omar?
0: Um well um I'm not currently uh pursuing uh, research on the Midwest but my current project is has a connection a, a bit um when I was driving to uh to Iowa City from um from Long Beach uh along I-80 between Des Moines and Iowa City um I all of a sudden saw a sign for a place called Montezuma. and I thought this is mm-hmm. weird uh, why would a place be called Montezuma in the middle of Iowa <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know it turned out it had to do with the US Mexican War Uh, And there's several place names in Iowa related to the U.S.-Mexican War. And uh, that leads me to two – so uh, right now I'm involved in two projects. One is I'm working on a book on um, the history and memory of the U.S.-Mexican War as it relates to um, uh, civil rights activism among Chicanos uh, and how – the memory of, of the war and, and and of the treaty has led, uh, you know, over gener- generations, activists to um, to cite the treaty, but also to uh, to uh, describe how the. Uh, the sort of the the place uh of mexican americans in u.s society has um has a lot to do with that war and what happened as a result of the war um but the, the other thing i'm working on um in sort of a long-term project is uh, sort of a, a, a digital uh, humanities project on sort of using um uh digital mapping to look at place names like in iowa you know like there's a there's Three counties, for example, that are named after um, battles in the U.S.-Mexican War, and sort of looking at how these place names um, sort of um, are distributed across the U.S., not just in the Southwest, but in the Midwest and in other places, and how, you know, they're sort of linked to the U.S.-Mexican War and what it says about um, how we remember the war or how we forget, you know, certain aspects of the war.
1: Great. That sounds
3: great. Santiago?
1: Wow. Both those projects sound fantastic. I'm actually doing more creative writing, so… My current uh, big project is finishing uh, a new collection of stories, partially set in Turkey, some of them set in the Midwest, um, some of them set in Mexico, some of the stories set in Mexico. The base of the story is uh, my, my sister, um, eh, one of my sisters eh, eh, passed away uh, in 2010, and she, lived, she had lived in Turkey uh, eh, for about a year in the mid-90s. And so I've been thinking about this question: you know, What does it take a young, a young uh, uh, Mexican Mexican American to leave um, her country um, and to go to the other side of the world and to live uh, for um, for a year? And so I've been. Um, um, that's been sort of one of the, the, the it's one of the underlying elements of the um, of the stories about family and, and connections across 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 uh, place. As I said, um, parts of the, some of the stories are set in the Midwest, when the the, the main character is. Is a um, is a, as a writer who's um, who, who's been who's been living in in, uh, in the Midwest for a number of years and and is trying to come to terms still come to terms with this with his loss um, and I think more recently or more currently the the other part that I have to absolutely finish um, within the next the next couple of months is is another is another book of short stories in Spanish but uh, but a, that's sort of a a, a detective fiction um, mm-hmm. and uh, um, set on the U.S. Mexico border. Uh, I, I don't know if I want to finish it, but uh, that, that, that is the main, that, that is, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make the deadline, but uh, that is uh, much right now. i
3: <laughs> will we'll send you good vibes, you know, so you can get it done on time. But. Thanks. <laughs> well, thank you all of you for, for sharing. All those projects sound uh, great. Thank we'll you. be sure to watch. And thanks again for participating uh, in this conversation.
1: Thank you. Thank
2: you so thank you. much.
3: Thank you for tuning in to New Books in Latino Studies. I'm David James Gonzalez, the host of today's podcast, and I hope you've enjoyed my conversation today with Omar Valerio Jimenez, Santiago Vaquera-Vasquez, and Claire F. Fox, editors of the Latino Midwest Reader, published by the University of Illinois Press in 2017. If you'd like to get in contact with me, please send an email to djgonzophd at gmail.com. I also invite you to follow the New Books Network's social media pages on Facebook and Twitter. And of course, please like and comment on this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you.